Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Justin Elliott is a reporter for ProPublica. And for the last year, he's been trying to understand the secret language of taxes. How did you prep to cover taxes? Like, were taxes always your jam? Like, you wanted to learn about the tax code? No, not at all. Actually, I I had a very painful period at the beginning of this year where I started going to American Bar Association uh, tax law conferences. (laughs) Justin says when you show up at one of these conferences, it's kind of like going to a foreign country. As a layperson, you sort of understand maybe 20% of what's being talked about. But what you do understand very quickly is that there's an army of very, very smart people in in suits who do understand this and and spend all their time thinking about it and, and sort of working the tax code. It sounds like at a tax conference, Every panel is just about how to not pay taxes. That's a lot of it. <laughs> but you using acronyms and jargon that make it basically impossible to understand for a normal person. Over the last year or so, this new kind of tax conference cropped up, all about what's called an opportunity zone. Justin says these two words, they mean different things to different people. If you listen to the pundits on CNBC talk about opportunity zones, they'll refer to the program one way. But the, this idea, since it came out, really is a transformative, potentially transformative program that will unleash private capital into some of the uh, areas of our country that need it most. And it's both Justin, he explains it a little differently. You know, it gets called the Opportunity Zone program, and obviously the word tax and, and the phrase tax break is, is not in the program name. But the program literally is a tax break. Like, that's all it is. The people who are supposed to benefit from this tax break are some of the country's poorest communities, places that need jobs and housing. Instead, Justin has found Opportunity Zone perks headed to the owners of a yacht club, a ski resort, and the guy who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers. All because these are the kinds of people who speak the secret tax language. This is opaque to most of us, and it's certainly opaque to, to lay people who don't think about taxes all the time, but there's nothing that most rich people hate more than taxes. So today on the show, Justin's going to tell the story of these opportunity zones, how one rich guy in particular, someone who really hated taxes, came up with an elegant solution to avoid paying them. And then convinced Washington to give it a try. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The idea for these opportunity zones, it actually starts with a tech entrepreneur, a guy named Sean Parker, the former president of Facebook. If you saw The Social Network, he's the guy played by Justin Timberlake. Anyway, once he started piling up all that Facebook money, he ran into a problem. And opportunity zones were a way to fix it. So the tax break is all about capital gains, which is not something that normal people encounter in their day-to-day lives. But what it means basically is, to just use the example of Facebook, if you bought a share of Facebook stock when it was worth $100, and then you waited 10 years, and now it's worth, let's say, $2,000, The capital gain is the difference. It's like essentially the profit. So you have a capital gain of $1,900. I think Sean Parker has actually been quoted saying, like, I'm a rich person. I have this rich person problem. Exactly. Well, it's only a problem if you don't like paying taxes, right? So so how it works is, you know, if you if you sell your stock, so like in the case of Sean Parker, he acquired all his Facebook stock when it was basically worth nothing, and now it's worth billions. So he's sitting on a potential capital gain of billions of dollars. Now, the problem for him is that when you sell the stock, if you want the cash and you want to do something with it, the IRS charges you like 20, 25% of that money. You know, he doesn't want to give that up. <laughs> And in fact, there's a lot of rich people who who don't want to pay their capital gains taxes, so they just hold on to the stock. And so the idea here is if you take those capital gains and invest them in one of these opportunity zones, you don't have to pay the taxes up front, which, which is the first benefit. And then later you actually have those taxes cut. Right. If you if you stay invested for 10 years, you actually don't have to pay taxes. Or you don't right? have to pay some of the taxes. You get some of the taxes you would have had to pay would be forgiven. And then the third big benefit is on the new investment. So if you're starting a business in the opportunity zone and and that increases in value, that increase in value is now tax free. Which is a big deal because if you start, a, you know, if you have a successful investment, normally any kind of successful investment is going to you know, it's going to generate a tax bill. If you do it under this program, it's tax-free. It's not normal to be able to have the possibility of of making an investment that grows and then just keeping all the money. Usually there's some, you know, the tax man comes for some of it. And my understanding is that Sean Parker actually founded a think tank in Washington to basically go to Congress and kind of sell this idea. Right. So this this is sort of a, a classic case of just the incredible influence that the billionaire class has. So Parker has enough money that he he literally started a think tank called the Economic Innovation Group, headlined by a Democrat economist and a Republican economist, so bipartisan, pushing this idea and got the ear of members of Congress, again, of both parties, um, famously uh, Cory Booker, the New Jersey senator and presidential candidate, has been a big proponent of this. He, he sometimes calls Opportunity Zones um, domestic emerging markets. This is probably the biggest economic development tool that local government leaders have to attract capital and investment into their communities, to create jobs and economic opportunity. Booker has actually told stories of of talking to Sean Parker about this idea over sushi in San Francisco. So obviously, you know, you and I can't go out to sushi with Cory Booker, but Sean Parker can. So Booker, another senator, Tim Scott of South Carolina, Republican, 
were sort of the the biggest name backers of this idea, and they were pushing it as a standalone bill. Then Donald Trump gets elected uh, in 2016, and his first and really now only big legislative achievement is the 2017 tax law, you know, which has sort of been widely derided as a giveaway to the rich. But they get this opportunity zone uh, legislation incorporated into the larger tax law. This has been touted by President Trump himself, Ivanka Trump, Tim Scott, others, as the sort of big piece of the Trump tax law that is actually supposed to help poor people. You can see why this idea is appealing. Everybody seems to get something. The wealthy get to take their money out of the stock market, save on taxes. And then that money goes into communities that need it, those opportunity zones. But after the Trump tax bill passed at the end of 2017, there's one more thing to do. The government had to get out their maps and decide what is an opportunity zone? What kind of neighborhoods need this extra cash flow? Justin says this is when more red flags started going up for him. Everyone, you know, comes back from New Year's sort of bleary eyed and wakes up. And then this this process starts that, again, happens very quickly in the first few months of 2018. And the process is the Trump Treasury Department releases a list of census tracts around the country that are eligible to be named opportunity zones. And then the the key thing that happens that we've been focused a lot on is the people who actually do the picking are the governors of each state. So the law gives enormous, basically unchecked discretion to every governor to pick one quarter of the eligible tracks in their state as opportunity zones. So suddenly the governors are the ones giving out the golden tickets. And you got a really good look at how this worked in Florida, looking at West Palm Beach. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what happened there and how you could really see, because you began foyering through the government documents, how the governor was influenced by people who had been donors? Right. So if you look at Florida at the time, uh, Rick Scott was the governor. He's now the U.S. senator from Florida. And there's a Florida Economic Development Agency. And through these documents that we obtained through uh, public records requests, you can see actually there's there's people at the Economic Development Agency who are who are trying to do this in a kind of transparent data-based way. And, and there's economists who are saying, okay, um, what are the neediest areas? What are the areas that are going to um, most benefit from, from potential development are most sort of ripe for development and also eligible for this program? And they basically come up with their own maps, like, hey, right. here are the places we would consider. Right. So this Florida State Agency comes up with their, their own maps, but it's, it's Governor Rick Scott's ultimate call as to what, what gets picked. Then what emerges from these documents is a rush of lobbying starts, lobbying by municipalities, but also private companies, consultants, and individuals. One of the striking episodes involved a guy, a a billionaire family, the Huizenga family. People might remember Wayne Huizenga Sr., from the 80s and 90s, he started Waste Management, the uh, trash collection company. And then he, he later, I, I believe they owned the Miami Dolphins for a while. So it's sort of big Florida billionaire family. Turns out they're also major donors to Rick Scott. 
<laughs> we got a letter that Wayne Huizenga Jr., the son, wrote to Rick Scott in which he says, hey, look, we realized that this area of West Palm Beach where I own this uh, super yacht marina is on the eligible list to be an opportunity zone. And we've been planning to build these luxury condos next to the super yacht marina. And, you know, we want you to pick this. How did this match up with the maps that people inside the government were drawing? Right. So it's interesting. The area with the super yacht marina was was not selected through the process of, of looking at the data by the Florida Economic Development Agency. And it also you, you also might be thinking, we were thinking when we saw this, well, how is it that a tract with the super yacht marina is even eligible for this program at all, right? Because I thought there, you know, there was data, there, there had to be, um, you know, income thresholds and this sort of thing showing that these were poor areas. It turns out, and this sort of, it's sort of intuitive when you think about it, that there's just a lot of areas in the country in which there's extremely rich people and and poor people that happen to be in the same census tract. <laughs> so it evens out. Right. So it evens out. And the way that the program was structured, you end up with a bunch of census tracts where there's, uh, in this case, literally some of the richest people in the country, like uh, Rosie O'Donnell had a waterfront mansion in this census tract. But then actually on the other side of it, uh, you know, a mile away, there's some genuinely quite poor people. Hmm. But but it's eligible. So what happened after this letter was sent? So what happens is, you know, suddenly this tract, which was not going to be picked based on the kind of objective state analysis, the billionaire donor asks the governor to include it. And sure enough, a few weeks later, Rick Scott announces his selections and this tract is in there. The other significant thing about this, I think, is if you believe in this program, the idea is we want to incentivize new investment because if somebody's going to do something anyways, then why are we, all of us as taxpayers, subsidizing it? One of the striking things in this case is Heizenga says in the letter, we've been planning to build these luxury condos for a while and please give us this tax break. And then actually one of his partners in the project was quoted subsequently saying, look, the, this project already made sense. Economics of it were good for us. And now... Now that we have this opportunity zone tax break, it's even better. And that quote was in Bloomberg. It's, it's not Bloomberg, yeah. like those people were hiding. Right. Some of this is, is sort of in plain sight. So, I mean, fundamentally what this is, is a subsidy paid by all of, all of us as American taxpayers for projects in these areas. And in this case, in West Palm Beach, you know, we are all collectively subsidizing this luxury condo development that was planned before this idea, you know, had even entered anyone's mind. And it's potentially worth a lot of money, although we don't exactly know how much. Some wealthy investors weren't just approaching local leaders asking to take advantage of this new tax break. At least one man seems to have been coordinating directly with the White House. Justin uncovered an email linking an Opportunity Zone in Michigan to billionaire investor Dan Gilbert. Gilbert founded Quicken Loans, He's also known for owning nearly 100 buildings in downtown Detroit. We got an email from a Michigan state official who said that she'd been talking to Dan Gilbert's people, the Quicken Loans people. And she writes, they worked with the White House on it and want to be sure we are coordinated. 
And then again, a few weeks later, um, the Michigan Opportunity Zones get announced and a bunch of Dan Gilbert's properties in downtown Detroit are now in Opportunity Zones, including in in one track that uh, shouldn't have even qualified. I should say Dan Gilbert's company has denied any kind of coordination here. We still don't know everything about what happened at the federal level. But I mean, to give you a sense of how well connected these people are, Dan Gilbert was one of a select group of billionaires who literally was at the White House with Donald Trump watching the 2018 midterm election results. It was like Dan Gilbert and Sheldon Adelson and, you know, a few other people like that. So, you know, we've seen just again and again around the country that extremely wealthy people with very high levels of access to the Trump administration have, you know, ended up getting what they wanted out of this program. The thing that I find so frustrating about your reporting is that it ends up doubling down on this narrative that's so familiar and toxic, which is there are people in power who are arranging things so that the government will benefit them. In this case, you have a very wealthy Facebook investor who comes up with an idea. He says, hey, I'd like to keep more of my money, starts a research group in Washington to push the idea, gets people on board. And then you have more wealthy people close to other people in the government taking advantage of that. And and, and not to sort of draw too much of a <laughs> Epstein style conspiracy theory here, but it turns out these things, a lot of these things are connected. Like Dan Gilbert actually was a member of the founder's circle of the Sean Parker think tank that pushed this idea. So he, he was actually involved before Trump was even elected. Something I really struggle with with this story is the optics of it when it comes to race. Because the president has been really clear that he thinks the Opportunity Zones program benefits black Americans. I mean, I should also say, because this I looked up the signing of the Opportunity Bills legislation, and it's one of the few events where you can see the president surrounded by black people who are excited about this. But is there any evidence that this law is actually benefiting black communities? I mean, on the whole, certainly not. But I, I think the one caveat is because there are so few, really, really, there's no disclosure requirements. No one knows the answer to the question of, of how is this working in aggregate? We have a lot of examples of apparent abuse by billionaires and governors handing out favor to their political allies. But no one knows, you know, how is this working overall? And, you know, in in some ways, you know, we need to wait a number of years to see how it's going to work because, you know, investments take time. You would want academics to at least attempt to do sort of careful studies of, of how this worked. I will say, though, that this is actually not a new idea. The idea to have sort of geographically based investment incentives. In fact, there was a quite similar program in the Clinton years called Empowerment Zones <laughs> that was framed in a very similar way. I'm not an expert on it, but I, I, the restriction, it, it was actually, I think, more targeted and there were more requirements to try to actually ensure that the tax break was going to investments that would actually help people in a certain area rather than just investments in a certain area. 
you know, I've actually talked to one of the architects of that program who said in hindsight, he didn't think it really worked. I think a lot of the academic research backs that up also. President Trump does talk a lot whenever he starts talking about what he's done for African-Americans. This is one of the big things he, he says, and he makes a lot of totally baseless claims that opportunity zones are generating a lot of benefit in in the black community. And there's there's no there's no concrete evidence for that. <laughs> so Senator Ron Wyden is pushing to reform this law. How would that change how the opportunity zones work? Yeah, so there's there's several proposals out there. So a proposal has actually gotten some bipartisan support to add some disclosure requirements. So at least there would be some ability, at least by the government, to collect data. So in five or 10 years, we could have a conversation based on you know some kind of data set, which right now is going to be impossible. Senator Wyden, partly in response to some of our stories and also other, other reporting by the New York Times, introduced a bill that would tighten the rules, essentially. So some of the tracks, essentially the sort of wealthier tracks, would be booted out of the program. Sort of going even further, Bernie Sanders has said, we should just kill this. It's a, it's just a giveaway. I don't think there's, you know, I don't, there, there doesn't seem to be prospects for either the Sanders or, or Wyden proposals to, to get through Congress um, because there's no evidence of, of bipartisan support for those. It is possible that the increased disclosure requirements um, will get into some kind of bill, although, you know, with Congress, it's hard to say until it actually happens. The defense I've read about Opportunity Zones is that it's just too early to know. It's too early to know really how these zones are working or not working, and that there could be all kinds of people that we aren't paying attention to right now who aren't millionaires and billionaires who are taking advantage of these zones in really positive ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's correct that we, we can't make a, a final judgment, partly because, again, we don't have the overall picture. We don't have any kind of aggregate data to make any kind of judgment about the program. And I think there's no doubt there there have been some examples reported of, of people using this in, in ways that look like, you know, what was intended or, or how they talked about it before the bill was passed. So that that's definitely true. But I think it's also significant that even a small, a relatively small number of reporters, so Myself and my colleagues at ProPublica, there are folks at the New York Times, other folks at Bloomberg. There's probably like under 10 reporters who are really on this in the country. Have found, you know, 10 or 20 probably seemingly egregious examples of, of abuses or excesses of, of one form or another. I think it's also worth noting that the amounts of money here for, you know, if, if a a billionaire is getting to use this tax break for a luxury condo investment, the upside is potentially huge. I mean, we're talking many, many millions, tens of millions of dollars of tax breaks compared to if there's some affordable housing be- being built somewhere, that's going to be a much smaller amount of money. And that's all. That's money that's all you know collectively coming out of our pockets. So th- again, that's all anecdotal at this point, and I don't think we should make a sort of overall judgment because we can't. But a lot of what we've seen doesn't look good. Justin Elliott, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks a lot. Justin Elliott is a reporter at ProPublica. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Danielle Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. 
We are so psyched to be back in your feed for 2020. In fact, we're so excited that we're going to be back here twice tomorrow. Lizzie O'Leary will be here in the morning with What Next TBD. I'll catch up with you in the afternoon to tell you everything you missed in impeachment. I'm Mary Harris. Happy New Year. Talk to you tomorrow.